Welcome to the Fitnatics. I'm here with Patty McMahon, owner-operator of P-Mac Insights. Hi, Patty. Hi. Thanks so much for having me on. Thank you for um, being a guest today. I'm really excited about our topic today. Uh, we're talking about winding down without the wine. So let's get started, Patty. If you don't mind sharing, sharing a little bit about your background and experience. Sure. So I have a lot of insights on living well. And so I started writing about those on medium.com and um, explored pretty much since the pandemic. What, how do I want to live? How do I live well? Um, and that led me down this rabbit hole of um, taking a look at my relationship with alcohol and so after deciding that I wanted to take a very long break with that, I started a coaching program to help other people um, do the very same because it changed the way that I really started showing up in life. And with the people that I help, it helps them um, really evaluate what is living well and what does that really look like. And so um, without alcohol in our lives, We've discovered that we have more energy, we sleep better, we work out better, we're more mindful of our eating and even how we think about the world. And so um, I'm not here to kind of, it. I don't like to try to talk anyone into quitting drinking because that's not what I'm about. I'm about discovering that inner knowing and letting that um, kind of guide you through your choices. And it's hard to do when you are so in this habit of drinking all the time and, you know, how habitual it is to just walk in the door and you know you're going to have your wine with dinner or while you're cooking and um, when you're talking on the phone with your girlfriends or having a Zoom meeting with, with your girlfriends or a book club or all these things that we do usually have alcohol around them and they just become a part of our habits. And so um, we kind of take a closer look at that. So let me ask you this, Patty, when did you feel or notice that you wanted to make a change when it came to alcohol? That's a great question. You know, I partied a lot in my twenties and I had some college fun and um, you know, I, I would, I would recognize, Oh, I need to take a break from this, but I really didn't start really, really questioning until I was in my 30s and had children. So when I got pregnant, I started really wondering, well, how do I want to show up? And um, how do I want to be a role model? How do I have all this energy to show up the way I want to? But ironically, I would also use it as a crutch to kind of get through the day and do all the things and take that mommy moment um, to myself. You know, it was something my kids couldn't do with me. <laughs> um, mm -hmm. And, uh, but still kind of allowed me to still do all the things. And, and that transition period in motherhood, when you are, um, when you have your independence in the past, and you're so used to that. And that transition of now you are, really caring for somebody else. They're literally hanging on you while <laughs> to survive. And it's this, this, you lose your identity a little bit and then it sort of, it 
builds into this. Well, this is what I, this is how I get through the day is my mommy wine time. And then, and then when I transitioned into my career of becoming a, a public educator, it was how I got through the stress of that and how I could detach from that. And, you know, I started teaching during the pandemic and, um, which is a really crazy time to go into education um, because, I mean, nobody knew it was coming, but uh, the stress from that, I didn't have any energy left to give. And it's not because of the pandemic. That's what public school education is like. You you give, <laughs> give, 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 give. You put out fires all day long. You are really trying to help the future, you know, generations be awesome. And they're dealing with so much crap and trauma. And um, it just, you have to wear so many hats that when I finally got home, I was like, I don't have anything else to give. It, I need to detach. I need a moment. And my moment turned into evenings and then uh, turned into late nights. And then, um, you know, my husband came home one day with the kids and uh, had made a comment that really bothered me. He said, mommy sure likes her wine time these days. And, you know, I was angry when he said it, but it just lingered. It's one of those moments where you're like, is there truth to that? Like, what is going on here? And am I drinking too much? And yes, I know I am. And now I really have to start facing it. And so when we, um, I started thinking and I, with, with drinking hand, how do I stop drinking? And, um, I googled, am I an alcoholic? Because I, I didn't know how to really ask and reach for help. Because yes, mm -hmm. my husband was like, this is kind of getting too much. Um, but when I'd say like, oh, I need some help. People would be like, you're not that bad. I do the same thing. It's okay, you know. Um, so I didn't really know how to go about it. And so, but I didn't feel like an alcoholic. I didn't need it to get through the day. Sure, I thought, I can't wait till four o'clock, but um, I, I really, I wasn't rock bottom. I wasn't um, getting into trouble with the law or having serious medical problems, but it was time to really kind of question and take a look at what do I, what is this and what am I doing? And so um, I ended up joining a uh, program and it really opened up the world to me that is out there. There's this sober curious movement that's happening where people are looking at their behaviors and questioning, what is alcohol really doing for me? It, I think it's doing this, but when I learn about the science and when I learn about, um, the the advertising and the pushing and all and what we have accepted in our culture and when i start questioning my beliefs i start noticing they don't match up with reality anymore and so um so that kind of led me on this journey to say okay well i'm, I'm gonna give this a break and i want to see what the other side feels like because i know what this side feels like what does the other side of alcohol feel like? So I can decide what kind of relationship I want with it in my life and what do I value and what do I, um, how do I stay healthy? Because I want to be that grandma who is, I mean, I'm thinking in the future, I want to be the 70 year old woman who's climbing mountains with her grandkids and not being like, I'm going to break a hip, you know? And so in order to get to that place, 
I have to really, I'm like when you're in your forties and fifties and, you know, even 60 year olds are making these changes and seeing these awesome benefits from sort of giving it a break um, mm -hmm. and really getting honest and real with, is this serving me anymore? Or am I just really wishful thinking that alcohol is going to do something for me that it's not? So. Well, based on some of what you shared right now, Patty, I feel like I've, I've heard um, very similar from clients of mine. And I typically work with clients that are high achieving women and they're doing all the things. And so similar to what you're saying, it's like to get through the day, to get more energy, you know, to do all the things at high level puts a tremendous amount of stress physically and mentally. And any way that they can find a release valve for that um, is something, you know, that they do and they explore and, and want. And unfortunately, you know, the case has been that's that's been the alcohol and it's been, you know, for them at times um, a wind down or numbing of pain, physical pain. It could be numbing of emotional pain. So various reasons for for drinking. But um, nonetheless, similar to what you're sharing is like outlet because, you know, we're doing so much and. Yeah at high levels. And, and I agree with you what, you know, in terms of being an educator, um, education, you know, I feel like I love, I remember my teachers and I love my teachers. They were inspirations. Right. And I grew up wanting to be a teacher because they were so awesome. Yeah. And I actually got into it and I started doing it for a very short period of time. And I realized that, wow, <laughs> that's intense because of so many hats you do have to wear. So with that being said, Patty, what, um, how did how did the alcohol show up in your life that you were feeling like, okay, I, I this is not for me anymore. I, I want to see what else is out there. And as you said, that's super curious. Yeah. So first, I started noticing those red flags, and I had to acknowledge the red flags, and um, those are things like. Um, waking up in the morning and being like, how did I get to bed again? What did I say to my husband? And it was, you know, those embarrassing things and really being like, okay, if I'm doing this more than one time, once in a while, red flag. Um, things like making limits on, okay, I'm only going to drink two on Friday night because it was so great this week and I nailed my workouts. I nailed my lesson plans, all this stuff. And, and then Friday comes and after two glasses, I would be like, Oh, I'm totally finishing this bottle, you know, and this, there was this back and forth mental game going on during that whole time, but not being able to do what I say I'm going to do red flag. Um, and then noticing my self talk about uh, the next day being like, if I can't do that, then who do I think I am to do everything else, right? And so then I became more of a doer to prove to myself that I could do it. And then alcohol became this like thing I couldn't master. And so if I could master everything else in my life and add more to my plate, then I would feel like I am worthy. And then I beat myself up all over again. And so that's a huge red flag too. Um, other red flags is like 
So when I would take a break from drinking, it was hard to get past that 10 day mark or that two week mark without caving and saying, that's good enough. I'll just keep drinking when I had intended to take a 30 day break or a hundred day break to kind of gain more distance. And so really recognizing and admitting these are warning signs and I need to do something about it was like step one. That's how I think I really was like, I need help. And, and then getting curious about what is it that I really like about alcohol? What do I, I thought the de-stressing thing, I thought the alcohol was totally relaxing me. I thought it was what you do to relax. Well, after I learned how alcohol impacts your, the physiology in your body, I was like, this is only making me more stressed out. So I want to explain that to everybody really quick because it's something that I Let's think everybody takes for granted. Because mm-hmm. also, like, when I was in school, I had one health class that had a tiny chapter on alcohol use, and it was all about your liver. It's bad for your liver. You'll get liver cirrhosis, da-da-da-da-da. Nothing about cancers or what is physiologically happening when you drink. So... So I learned this from William Porter and Annie Grace, um, both who are authors and um, uh, very smart about all of this. So when you, alcohol is a depressant. And when you drink a depressant, it's not the Eeyore kind that makes you sad about life. What it is, is it's a chemical depressant. So it um, makes your central nervous system slow down, AKA your brain, and your spinal cord and all of the ways that your brain communicates to your body. So your brain's number one job is to keep you alive. And when it senses we're slowing down at a rapid pace, something's wrong, it's gonna pump you full of stimulants and hormones like cortisol, the stress chemical um, hormone. But so you have a depressant, then it uh, your body, your brain naturally will uh, do this for survival, put stimulants up here. The depressant wanes, and then at like 20 minutes into your drink, you're kind of like, I feel like I'm just getting started here. This feels good. And those are the excess stimulants and hormones in your system. And so you tend to get a drink and fill your body with more depressant. Your brain does what it's supposed to do gives you some more and you do this dance there's other things going on in your system like your liver actually secretes this thing that's like this chemical that's like go to sleep we need you to shut down so we can take all of your energy and help you process this poison out of your system but you're also still doing this dance so there's more it's more robust than just your brain and in my 21 day challenge I I go through a lot of the science of that um, as you're learning how to kind of take a break because knowledge, once you know something, it's really hard to unknow it. And then you make decisions based on this new information. And that's just how we are as human beings. So um, knowing this, and there's more into it, like this affects your sleep, your brain gets sensitized to this. So it actually prepares for battle before, like, as it realizes you're in a routine every Friday night, we're doing this. So I'm going to prepare so I don't have to work as hard. And then you're, you're stressed out. You're sitting in a stress bath until your next drinking session. And then you're making it happen more. 
And so that 20 minutes of that woo-saw feeling of relaxation started to have a different, I started to have a different perspective of it. It wasn't making me relaxed. It was, it was causing me to be more stressed out. And what I sensed as um, stressful started to, the perception of that started to change too. So when my colleagues would ask me to make a copy for them for their classroom set, one day I broke down in the classroom and just cried. And I was like, why am I crying over this, this request that's so simple? And then, and then I felt bad because I was having this huge emotional reaction to something that's so basic. And now I'm like, feel silly about it. But in the moment, it was like, that was like the last drop of my day. You know, the pressure was on, it was building. And so that was another huge red flag is when my ability to feel like I could handle it, I could be like Olivia Pope went away, <laughs> then I knew there was something wrong. And when I, um, side note with the Olivia Pope, when I like took a longer break, I actually felt that like, I can handle this, bring it on life. I got you. I'm clear minded. I have a great perspective. Now I'm in tune. I can handle what's coming at me now. And that was a really inspiring and powerful feeling. I still feel this way after almost a year and a half of being alcohol free. So let me ask you this, Patty, what, um, in terms of taking a break, mm -hmm. I feel like that is, is a mid step or that is a next step for someone who's Sober curious. I mean, and let's define sober curious. I know you talked about it a little bit. What exactly yeah. is that a new term? I've I personally have not heard of this or that term. Um, what exactly does it mean? So I think it's just taking a look at your relationship and asking and answering those hard questions with honesty. You know, much like children who are like, I wonder what happens when I take this hammer and hit this pot of uh, with mommy's flowers in it. What's going to happen? You know, they, I think you approach your life with this, this curiosity and it's like, what is not only what is this drinking behavior doing for me, but I wonder what it would like be like to have it without it in my life. Because a lot of people are drinking, especially in this mid age, have the very have a long history of alcohol use and not in a bad way. It's totally it's embedded in our culture. You know, going out for drinks and happy hour after work was like totally a thing. And I know in the business world there's like the you know, the business deal and then there's the the deal after the deal and then you know who can stay up the longest and like all of these things that are alcohol related. Um, and that's just culturally it's embedded in our culture. And so getting curious about and wondering what would it be like without alcohol? I don't know. I haven't tried it. So maybe I should give it a try and see how I like it. And part of that curiosity is totally like, you also have to get in tune with yourself. What are, what are my values? What have I been, um, have I been operating off of those values? Do I, you know, what evidence in my life am I, supporting those values and what what evidence is actually contrary to that can i take a closer look at that and so 
being sober curious is taking a look at our drinking behaviors and wondering, is this serving me anymore? And then also, what is it like without it in my life? Got it. Well said. Let me, uh, just very straightforward questions here on this, Patty, because I get this a lot um, from people in general, uh, as well as clients. And as I mentioned before, tell me, Patty, it is drinking alcohol in the evening help you relax and go to bed and keep you asleep? I wish. <laughs> I, I really do. I, I, would, you, I would also drink and relax and think this is my bedtime juice. Um, so when you, are, when you have the depressant and you're feeling the relaxedness, your brain is also doing the stimulant thing. And it does that all night long, that dance. And so when you, um, you might fall asleep, but it's not really falling asleep. It's passing out. Your body is literally shutting down and, and it's not, um, it's not productive sleep either. It is just blacked out and not, not that you're blackout and you don't remember, but your body literally, your brain doesn't have the capacity because of the alcohol to allow you to get into the stages for REM sleep and all of the sleep cycles that you need to go through to wash out the, the garbage that you've collected in your brain all night long um, and all day long. And then, so it's not rejuvenating sleep. It doesn't help you sleep in the long run. And then you also get woken up because your body is flooded with stimulants. And so in the middle of the night, many people I've worked with, and this myself too, I would wake up and I'd be like really sweaty. And then my brain would be like going a million miles an hour. And I was like, I can't think, but I feel like I had a cup of coffee just in my brain. And um, then I'd try to get back to sleep. And when I finally did, then I'd have to wake up. And so that's a very common cycle that happens with people who drink in the evenings um, because the stimulants, the cortisol, your your ability to get into REM and that nighttime sleep cycles just don't exist. And so no, alcohol doesn't help you go to sleep. It doesn't help you sleep longer. It's not a sleep aid. Thank you. Next question. Does alcohol help with pain management? Um, in a way, so alcohol is a, now I will say I'm not a medical professional. So all of the research that I've done is, uh, does ask and answer these types of questions because many people do use it for pain management, but because alcohol numbs you and, you know, I used to wake up in the morning and be like, how did I get all these bruises? Because you literally don't know what you're doing with your body and you can't really feel too much going on. And so I don't think it's an effective pain killer because the next day you are in more pain from your hangover trying to numb the pain that you had before. So... Essentially, the benefits are not any better <laughs> yeah. than the risk that you're taking or the impact that it's going to have on your brain, on your body, um, mm -hmm. et cetera. So definitely, I 
get where you're going on that 100%. There are more effective pain management methods than alcohol. Agreed. Got it. Okay. So share with us if someone has in a similar position as you were in the past, how would they go about taking a break? Mm. I think the way, well, the way that I manage this with my clients who people come to me and they're like, I, I just, I want to be done, but I'm having a hard time because we can set those limitations, those rules, but an experiment with that. I did that for like six years. I tried to. And you did that yourself, Patty? You managed that situation or did you have an outsider help you manage it? I, for, so when I became a mom and started questioning, I didn't drink through pregnancy, but you know, in between kids, mommy wine culture and all that. And then, um, after having babies, all of those times, I started trying to manage it by myself and, you know, my group of girlfriends would do it too, or try to, um, like only drink on Fridays or only at special gatherings, or we were also trying to lose our mom bod um, and hop right back into where we were at in our twenties um, uh, fitness wise. And so we joined these challenges thinking we'd motivate each other. And it ended up that we would just kind of like talk or talk each other into having a wild night or, you know, um, it, it'll be just one and then it turned into something we regretted later and throwing our fitness goals off and things like that. And so, you know, we ebbed and flowed together to try to like do it. And, you know, I would do it on my own too and be like, I just need to do this for myself and I, I don't know what to do. And so I wanted to be able to do it on my own, but then it just made it worse. It was almost like every time I'd take it a little distance, the two week distance, it was almost like I would drink more once I went back to drinking. And I don't really know why that is, but it was starting to just keep building and building. And then my husband coming home and saying, mommy sure likes her wine time. And things started going, okay, I need, I can't do this on my own. Looking at it, I've been trying for this to deal with this for years. And now it's time to actually ask for help. And I didn't really want to go to AA, but nothing against AA. It seems a little intense for me because I also thought I could manage it on my own. So in the privacy of my own little home, you know, I, I joined a course that talked a lot about that, um, how to take a break for 21 days. And so I think your first step, if you are wanting to take a break, is really to take moments to be curious about your drinking. So I created a three-day journal series. It's free. And together, we kind of talk about well, um, getting it on paper and pen. What is it that you like about drinking? Why do you want to quit now? What are the... Um, what are you hoping to get out of a break? And you really kind of just get in tune with yourself in that way. And then after you have that period of being curious, you, you decide I'm making the commitment. I need to make the commitment. I'm not going to try to moderate. I'm not going to try to talk myself into this. I'm going to set aside 21, 30 days, 45, whatever it is, your number, 
and then um, and learn about it. Read Quitlet books, listen to podcasts, read articles about it every day. Do something like that. So you keep it in your your vernacular, your your being, you become it, you start learning about it. And it's so hard to unlearn something that you're learning on a daily basis. You keep it in the forefront of your mind. So um, once you do that, you need to reflect on also what you're learning. And a great way to do that is through community. So I have a book club that I'm hosting um, where we read a Quitlet book and then we can discuss it and we can see how it applies to our lives mm -hmm. and all that. And so finding little communities like that to talk about what you're learning is a really great way to do it. Um, so again, I did say I had a 21 day challenge and that's where we go through and you learn all these lessons and then you learn these tools to surf the, surf the urge to drink. And so I have 10 of them. And I'm going to share my favorite one with you guys because this is a this is can be applied to anything. You might already know it and go, oh, I could totally use that in this situation. But my favorite surf the urge strategy is play the movie forward, because when you are having a, a craving to drink, there's a couple things going on. One, alcohol is a drug. So you're literally feeling like the effects of not having it. So you want it. And then two, you have a habit. You have a habit that in a ritual of a situation and, and you have these triggered moments. So in environment, um, sounds can be cues. You know, every time I'd watch Scandal or some sort of whodunit show and then somebody's drinking, suddenly I'm like, well, I want some wine too, you know. And um, all these things aren't to be shamed, like shameful moments. It's just... Um, you become more aware of these triggering moments and then you realize this craving is going to happen. It's going to be uncomfortable. So how do we get through it? You don't white knuckle your way and say, I'm not drinking. You, you, you understand this feeling is a wave. And so you surf the surge with play the movie forward. You think about before you open that bottle, you say, what's going to happen when I drink this? You answer the question, I'm going to feel pretty good for about 20 minutes, and then I'm going to want some more, and then I'm going to pour some more, and then what's going to happen? And you play through the night, you play through the morning, you play through the next day, you play through as long enough as you need to, to say, that's not what I want to be doing right now. And you create the distance between you and the drink. You create, and you actually one reason i really love this is you have the evidence you have your life experience you don't need to test this out because you have been for the past 20 10 15 five years however long that you have been drinking and noticing this is a habit and i'm, I'm ready to kind of take a look at it um you know what's going to happen so you don't have to really experiment with i wonder what's going to happen but if you need to, you can write down and you're like, I'm drinking and I feel relaxed. Okay. Then how do I feel every 20 minutes in your, the rest of your day, write down how you feel after that one drink. Then you have it right there to go, okay, this is what happens. So I'm not promoting anybody to go get blitzed to do this, but if you are, aren't in tune 
with the evidence that you have, you can also try that. So playing the movie forward is one of the 10 strategies that I um, teach. And I have a free guide for you guys. It's uh, 10 things to try um, before opening the bottle. And that's one of them out of the many that are really great things to do. So I, I really like that um, strategy because I feel like for someone like yourself and myself and other high achievers, um, that data that you're speaking about, that information that you're gathering um, is with most of us, we, we, we want that information. Yes, this is right. This is wrong. You know, we, we like that, right? That helps us, you know, move forward what direction we're going to go. This is good. This is bad, et cetera. And so having that information from our own personal experiences, our own personal data, like you can't get it anywhere else, but from yourself is reinforcement. And it's, it's logical information that for you to see, to make that decision on how that's going to impact you and what decision you're going to make moving forward. Right. So I think that that is a very effective um, technique or tool in terms of playing the movie forward and saying, here, this is where it's going to take you. Is that where you want to go? And the power is in that individual's hands um, as far as what they want to do, whether they want to have a drink or decide to surf the urge and not and move forward. So I think that's a powerful tool rather than um, where someone's telling you or you've got to do this or do that. I think that when you get the data from yourself, um, it's generated from yourself, it's even more um, powerful and impactful. Totally. So, yeah. Yeah, definitely. And, and I think not, I mean, it's super impactful, but I just feel like, you know, for individuals who are just really motivated and go-getters like it's gonna have to take something like that to have them make a change you know what i mean like it's got to yeah. be something like concrete and like no this is what you're doing or this is what's happening um in order to really make a change in a different direction whether the, it's stopping completely or it's pausing for a period of time totally and you know at the end of the day everybody is trying to live their best selves and one of the ways that you know how to show up the next day a better version of yourself is by getting completely honest with yourself. You don't have to be honest with anybody else, although it is nice to be honest, 100% honest with at least one other person. But um, when at the end of the day, you got to own you. And, and that's how I kind of coach is we take a look at, your authentic self and how things kind of like you got to get real with yourself before you can decide, is this how I want to show up? Because we just get in so many habits of thinking, habits of being, habit, habits of um, all sorts of different habits that when we, it becomes so automatic. So we got to like take a step back and go, okay, wait a second. <laughs> Let's get mindful no, I mean, about this. Yeah. I'm a, my coaching style is very similar. I feel like that's the way I operate for myself. I have to be able to look in the mirror at myself and flaws and all and be able to own it in order to be better, do better, do something different. And I've yeah. always been that way. And I really feel that that component is, um, is valuable in a coaching uh, situation because not everyone is like that. 
But when, yeah. you know, they're coached or open up to like, let's, let's start doing something different. Let's really, you know, hone in and look at ourselves and um, not necessarily to be critical, but for information so that we can make changes if we need to, if we feel like we need to make changes. And I, rather than just looking at ourselves for all our flaws, because no one wants to do that, right? No one wants to do that. But if we want to look at ourselves, as you said, to have a better life, to live better, to have a healthier lifestyle, to live into our 80s and climbing mountains, then we do need to maybe explore some other options in terms of how we're treating ourselves, our bodies, inside and out. So um, I'm in agreement with you. I think that's a, I like that coaching style, to be quite honest with you. Now, Patty, let me ask you this. How can we um, get in touch with some of these uh, programs and um, opportunities yeah. you have? Sure. Um, so I'm pretty active on Instagram and Facebook at PMAC Insights. I also okay. write a lot on medium.com about um, all of these wonderful things I'm learning, some coaching um, strategies as well, and um, about sober travel, which is really fun. And then on Linked, uh, Linktree, you can find uh, some resources, programs, things that I have going on and other ways to um, gain insight into your relationship with alcohol so you can start living well um, over on Linktree. So. Wonderful. Thank you, Patty. Now, let me ask you this. Are you a fitnatic? And if so, what do you like to do to stay fit and healthy? I love, yes, I am. I am a fitnatic. I love doing <laughs> yoga, taking long walks with my dog. I like swimming. Um, and I really, really, I I'm just started a strength training program. And that is a whole lot of energy, a different kind of energy that I'm embracing and loving. So I am a fitnatic. <laughs> <laughs> Fantastic, Patty. I really want to thank you for sharing your time and information today. So, so valuable. Oh, I and, really appreciate um, you having me on. Yeah. <laughs> I'm definitely going to share your uh, information with uh, my group and with all the audience of my podcast. So thank you so much. I look yeah. forward to uh, speaking with you again in the, in the future. Until next time, everyone, keep moving. Thank you. 